Please have a seat. Oh, yeah. It wasn't really a silent night, was it? Mary and Joseph, tired from their long journey, pregnant and expecting the arrival of their child. I'm sure there are lots of words spoken. There are probably a few arguments they had along the way. There's a bit of a panic and a flurry as they tried to figure out where they were going to stay. There are frustrations vented about what to do next, about the long journey, about what it's going to be like to raise this child. No birth happens in silence. It happens in groans and cries and weeping. And the trial and labor of childbirth culminates in the cries of a newborn. It was not a silent night. And yet there was something very different about this night. Christ's birth, Jesus, fully God, fully man, broke through the darkness of the world and let the world know that sin will be silenced. There will be no longer any place for murder, for hate, for injustice, for abuse, for war, for crime. There is no place for greed or jealousy or bitterness or factions or drunkenness. There is no voice for violence, destruction, selfish ambition and pride. The birth of Christ silences the volume of sin. And the sound of Christ's arrival bursts through a still night, not with empty pomp and circumstance, but with a clear and decisive sound of victory. The victory in his arrival would resonate throughout all of the past, present, and future, an eternal sound of triumph. Darkness was silenced that night. And yet, you and I, even when hearing the clear sound of Christ's victorious triumph, the declaration of his victory over sin, the forgiveness from sin in our lives, still too often we turn a deaf ear to his words. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you hear? Do you hear what I hear? Or do you hear what you want to hear? Do you hear the voice of our Lord, our friend, as he whispers, I am with you even till the end of the age? Do we hear Christ say, I come to give life and life to the full? Do we hear him say to us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Do we hear him say, your sins are forgiven? Or do we drown out his voice, ignoring his words so we can listen to ourselves, telling ourselves things to make us feel better, to selfish words to soothe our itchy souls. Live for yourself. Do what you want. It's not hurting anyone. The pitiful words born from your own prideful insecurity. You're no good. No one loves you. You're ugly. While Christ continues to declare around you that he is king, that he is Lord, that he is victorious, come to me and I will give you rest, he says in Matthew 11. With man, this is impossible. With God, things, all things are possible, he says in Matthew 19, 27. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you friends in John 15. Why would you choose to silence Christ to only hear yourself? What sound can come from within that is greater than the voice of God? The sound of Christ comes in a powerful voice commanding storms to cease and in joyful words encouraging children to come to him. It is the sound of clear and true teaching, and soft and gentle promises saying that you are forgiven and free. It is the voice saying, Father, forgive them, and the voice saying, I will come again. Why turn away from that voice? 
the voice that spoke the universe into creation, the powerful triune voice of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that speaks and reverberates from the very beginning of time to the voice that says, I am, to the voice that says, it is finished. Don't turn away from the voice of God, from the triumphant declaration of his victory. Instead, let the triumphant sound of God's victory tear down the walls around your heart that keep you shut off from him, trapped by your own fears and failings. Listen. Listen to his voice. Join in with a chorus of angels declaring his holiness and goodness. It was not a silent night, but it was Christ who silenced sin. So tonight, we should be silent and be still to hear his voice and then let out a loud cry declaring his victory over our life now and forever to sing out glory to the newborn king. I invite Daniel to come up and read the next scripture. If the sounds of Christ's coming ushered in a victory over sin and death, it's then that we begin to understand what it means, the glories of his righteousness. In John 1, verses 1, in John 1, it says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But what is glory? What is the glory of God? John Piper says, The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Let me say that again. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. I think that's a pretty good definition. A, a human's glory or a man's glory might be what achievements or goodness or accomplishments that mankind might demonstrate. Going to the moon. Winning a championship. Some sort of victory in battle. That's the glory of man. But all of mankind's achievements are impermanent. They don't last. They're not eternal. They aren't even perfect. Oftentimes, that glory is overtaken by someone else. Records are broken. More money is made. Science makes further progress. The glory of man fades away. A team wins a championship this year, and then a different team wins a championship next year. Someone becomes CEO this year, and then a few years later, someone else takes over. Mankind is quickly forgotten. But God's glory? God's glory is infinite and beautiful and great. It swells forth from his manifold perfections. The many, many ways that God is perfect, that is emanating his glory. If we were to try to describe it, we might say, God's glory is seen in his beautiful creativity, which brought forth creation. The perfect balance of, of harmony, of, of science, of mathematics. The glory of the creation of the universe, the billions of stars. The way we breathe oxygen and trees take in carbon dioxide. The glory of the creation also shows the immense love that caused him to create mankind. God's glory is seen in his perfection. It is completely holy and pure. There is no wrong thinking in who God is. There is no tolerance for sin. He doesn't accept it. There is no space for imperfection. 
And again, it says in John, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Pause for a minute and understand what that means. We have seen the glory of God. We can see his manifold glory. In Christ, we see the perfect glory of God. He is the perfect experience of God's glory, a perfect, sacrificial, reparative love. The word of God, the life of God, the love of God shared with us. It's why he's called the light of the world. In a world so steeped in darkness, so cut off from God's perfection, Jesus is the glorious light of God given to us. Do you know when we see in Jesus what love really looks like? We understand through Jesus what true sacrifice means. We experience through Jesus what forgiveness feels like. We are gifted through Jesus what it means to belong and to have your place with God. The glory of God is so powerful and so pure and so perfect. Long before Jesus, when Moses lived, he asked if he could see the face of God. He wanted to see God in all his glory. And God said the glory of God, the the power and might of just God's person, who he is, would be so great, so immense, it would obliterate Moses. It would overwhelm him. So he said, but because I love you, Moses, because you follow me, he shielded Moses. And as God passed by, he let him just see the back of him. And even that small glimpse of the glory of God left Moses' face radiant for months afterwards. But we, what it says in John is that we get to see the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the fullness of glory of God for us to see, to experience, and to overwhelm us so we ourselves are radiating that light out. If God is perfect radiance in his light that smothers the darkness, he breathes that into us to say, you also reflect the glory of God. There is no one like him. And by being allowed to know Jesus, we are invited into his glory. When we begin to understand how grand and and great and, for lack of a better word, glorious God is, we approach him differently. We see and know and recognize that he is the joy to this world. He is the manimal perfections of God shared with us. So in light of God's immense power, immense goodness, love, and glory, how can we still live in fear or anxiety or in doubt? How can we still live as if we are kings in our own greatness? The trials and troubles of our current life, the fears and worries of today, drift away in the light of our marvelous knowing of God. Sometimes I think to myself, Bert, you are something. You've made a name for yourself in this country. When you go to Chinatown, people recognize you. (laughs) You might know all the BBC Christians in this country. Oh, Bert, you must be something special. And then I sober up and realize, Bert, you barely know anyone. And if you were to stand next to anyone else, in their immensity, in their grandeur, you would be so small. And I think to myself, oh, you're right. 
I am nothing. I'm useless. I'm pointless. What's the point in even trying? There are so many greater people before me. Francis Chan, Mother Teresa. <laughs> I mean, when I get to heaven, I'm not really going to have a mansion because I'm going to be living next to like Francis Chan, these great people. And who am I? And it's in that world that we get caught into trying to create our own glory. That somehow the pursuit of our own name or our own greatness is more important. But through Jesus, we see the glory of God. Isn't it much better than to say, God, let me share in just whatever little bit in your glory. Because that glory, if I get to just have a little bit of that or reflect just a tiny bit of that, that would be greater than any glory I could ever have for myself. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 7 to 8, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What he's saying is that why would I live for my own glory when there is nothing greater in my life than to share in the glory of God, in his life, in his love, in his sacrifice? Whatever glory I used to desire or seek for myself, when I see how great and glorious God is, I remember that I would rather share in his immense, incredible glory than to try to gain glory for myself. It's in that that I start realizing, God, let me be the best I can be of you. So in this world, that the impact I make is not for my own gain or my own name or my own fame, but so at the same time, people see how great and how good you are and declare more and more, wow, Whoever it is that you follow, Bert, that person must be great. To be part of his story, to join in his manifold perfections. So set aside the glory we seek for ourselves. And instead look to continually reflect the glory of God. That through the glory of Christ we see our lives transformed, the chains of sin broken, our fears and worries surrendered to him, and our faith increasing in the manifold perfection of who he is. So much of our life is about making noise, trumpeting who we are. In our workplaces, if we don't speak up, we don't get the promotion. If we're out, we have to try to speak louder so that they can hear who we are. Sometimes we have to be angry. Sometimes we have to speak just all the time, so no one else gets a word in. When Christ broke into this world on that not-so-silent night, we remember that his voice speaks still louder and more powerfully than anything else. When we are living our life walking behind his glory, behind his voice, what can stop him? Can anyone or anything or any power or any government or any politician or any evil or any hate or any crime 
stop God Almighty? I don't know about you, but I would want to be with the one who is more powerful than all those other things. I would want to dwell in the glory of God and share in that. And so when we sing Gloria in Excelsis Deo, we are singing glory to God in the highest. It is this declaration that God, may you have all the glory above my own, above anything else, so that I may just follow in that and follow your voice and resound and make the music that you are writing in my heart to giving me the voice that speaks out what you say and in the light of who you are, reflect that glory to the world around us. Before we come to our next and final set of songs, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you are the one who speaks, speaks into our lives, speaks into our hearts, speaks into our very soul. And if we have been cold to you, if we have been listening just to our own voice, Lord, we say sorry tonight. And instead we come before you, the glorious and almighty King, creator of the heaven and the earth, and humbly come before you and say, Jesus, you reign. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.